Thank you, John Yvette. That was a beautiful song, wasn't it? Can you say that this morning? All I want, Lord, is you. That is a tremendous, tremendous thing that we can do, is to say, Lord, I want you. Shall we just open in prayer? Father, we just are conscious of the fact that this world offers many things to us, but they're temporal things. They're earthly things. They're things that are going to pass away and be destroyed. And Lord, our hope is in heaven and we have you, Lord, and we want nothing more than you. You're the one that satisfies our hearts. You're the one who saved our souls. You're the one who's going to take us to heaven. And we go to heaven, Lord, we'll see many people, but the one we will really rejoice in most of all will be you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you will now speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Pour out a blessing on each one of us, Lord. Speak to us, touch us, change us today. Please hide me behind the cross and that you will be seen and glorified, Lord Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. You know, Christianity is about seeking Christ. It's about following Christ. It's about living for Christ. And it's about serving Christ. Always. And the key word to that is always. It's not enough to start off the Christian life well. We've known many people that have made a tremendous start for Christ. But later on in their lives, they've taken a detour somewhere. They've taken an exit. They've got off the right path. And God has to bring them back, has to put them back into his will again. And it's really sad to see that happen. But the Lord wants us to be consistent, to be good finishers, as we've heard this week. Christian life is not a sprint. It's not like a hundred meter dash that can be done in under 10 seconds. It's a marathon that takes over two hours for the best elite runners in the world. And it's amazing that God has us in this race and he wants us to finish strong. He wants us to face up to the temptations that the devil puts our way and be victorious in our lives. Now, I was thinking about how God allows the devil to tempt us in our hours of weakness, in our adversity, but he also allows him to tempt us in our times of prosperity as well. And I really think that the devil really uses prosperity more than he does adversity to get to us. Because when we've had a success, when we've had a victory, when we've had a blessing in our life, have you ever noticed that the devil is right there to inflate your ego, to get you all proud, thinking that you did it on your own, that you deserved it? And that's the way the devil works. Our topic today is seeking the Lord at all times. Seeking him in times of, of adversity as well as prosperity, knowing that we can rely on him for whatever we're going through in our lives Turn with me this morning, if you would, to the second book of Chronicles, chapter 14. We're going to look at quite a few scriptures, but they're all going to be right there in 1 Chronicles 14, 15, and 16. I've never covered three chapters before. It shouldn't take more than three hours. Just, <laughs> just kidding. It won't take that long. It'll be a regular length message, but it's on the three chapters because this speaks of King Asa of Judah, and he's mentioned in all three of these chapters in Chronicles. You know, one of the things that's really neat to do sometimes is to do mathematics in the Bible. And what I did is I took his reign. He reigned for 41 years in Judah. And I figured out the years that he lived for the Lord and honored God and served God and relied on him were 34 years. 
And in the 35th year, he started to make a turn for the worst. So I thought of it. 88% of his walk was good. How would you like to have a Christian life? 88%. No, that's not good. How would you like to serve the Lord? 88% of the time. No, it's not going to work. How about doing right and pleasing in God's sight? 88%. No. 100% is what the Lord requires and what he wants from us. And so we're going to look at this man's life and we're going to look at three things. Number one, his reliance on God. Number two, his reforms for God. And third, his rebellion against God. You know, Asa was one of the good kings of Judah. And even though he took a bad turn at the end of his life, you'd have to say overall he was a good king because there were very few kings after King David who lived good and right in the sight of the Lord. But Asa was one of them. Hezekiah and Josiah and and others. There were quite a few in Judah. There were none under the kingdom of Israel at that time. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. But in God's sight, Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he was a good king. And he was the son of Abijah, it tells us in verse 1 of chapter 14. So Abijah rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for 10 years. I was thinking about how that reminds us of the fact when we get saved, the Lord gives us peace and rest and so many blessings when we first get saved. There's like a honeymoon period. And then after that honeymoon period ends, then the major trials come. Have you ever noticed that? The major trials come. He gives us a time of refreshment to get built up, to get strengthened, to get grounded in the Lord. Then he allows the trials because if the Lord hit us with major trials in the beginning, we would just fall flat down. We wouldn't be able to make it. He knows when to send those trials and he knows when to allow the times of rest and peace in our lives as well. And notice in verses 2 through 5, we see that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from the cities of Judah and the kingdom was quiet under him. He was a man of action. He was a godly man, a godly king. And he directed his life to follow the Lord, to please the Lord. And he directed all of his subjects in Judah to do the same thing. He wanted people to honor God. And that's what he did. It reminds me of what Paul said in Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. He says, I strive always to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. And God is looking at our lives and he wants us to always be relying on him and seeking him because the world has many temptations out there and he wants us to be consistently walking with him. And, you know, it was a very difficult thing what he did. He went and took all the altars of Baal and all these false gods. He destroyed them and he said that he sought the Lord. In verse seven, he says, for we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built And prospered. You know, the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You know, so many Christians today are building monuments to themselves. You see it on TV preachers all the time. You see their big churches, the big cars they drive, the homes that they have. And the world scoffs at that and they say, if they're ministers and men of God, why are they living above the people? 
Why are they living these kind of rich lives where they're taking advantage of people? So it, it brings a scourge on Christianity. The Lord wants us to be his servant, to trust him and rely on him for everything. And he will bless our lives spiritually first and in every other way as well. You know, in verse four, it's such a blessing because it says that he lived and obeyed the Lord consistently all his days at this point in his life. And so he did that. And then he also had a strong military. It says he had 580,000 troops, as mentioned in verse eight, 280,000 were from from uh, Benjamin and 300,000 from Judah. So they had a very strong army. It reminded me of Ronald Reagan when he was president. He said, for us to be strong, we have to have a strong military as a deterrent against the old Soviet Union. And you notice the Soviet Union didn't attack Ronald Reagan. They didn't attack the United States under Ronald Reagan because he presented such a strong front. So what happened to communism is the wall came down. The Berlin Wall came down and communism crashed down with it because they had a strong military. And so they had everything going well at this point in his life. Spiritually, he was good. Militarily good. Socially, ethically, morally. They were living for the Lord and they were a blessing. And then the devil brought the big trial. And we see it in verse 9. It says, Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marisah. Can you imagine here these they, everything is quiet. The land has been quiet for 10 years. They have not had any wars. They've not had to fight, not even lift up a weapon for that time. They're blessed. They're thankful. And all of a sudden, they look up and they see an army of one million men coming out against them. Almost twice as many as they had in Judah and Benjamin to fight against them. And so Asa could have chosen many different things to do. He could have consulted his military advisors, chief of staff and and the joint chiefs of staff of the military. He didn't do that. Notice what he did in verse 11. Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you. And in your name, we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Just one verse prayer. Just think of it. It wasn't a long prayer, but it was an eloquent, short, brief, but powerful prayer because he's calling on the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord. He knew that they had no power to fight these Ethiopians. Ethiopians were coming down like locusts on them. Million men. But he cried out to the Lord. And it says that the Lord answered his prayer and delivered the people from the Ethiopians. I thought of an acronym. I was telling Adel about this one the other day. So I wrote it on an index card and I put it in my car so I could always be reminded of it. And it's the acronym for help. H-E-L-P. His encouraging limitless power. And that's what Asa and the people of Judah found out. His encouraging limitless power. Because what he did here, which was so beautiful, is he minimized the power of the enemy by maximizing the power of God. And that's what we need to do in our, in our trials and difficulties and when the temptations come and all these things happen. We need to minimize them compared to God's power because no one can stand up to the Lord. 
You know, we've all been kids before and we have kids here today and they go to school and one talks about their dad. My dad's better than your dad and he can do this and he can do that. You'd think the way they talk that their dads are perfect, but they're not perfect, but they look up to them as being great dads. And so we should look up to our heavenly father, too, because he's bigger and he's stronger and he's better than the devil and all his forces. And so when we go through difficult times in our lives, we come to a God that can conquer all these things for us if we just trust in him. Notice he says, we rest on you and in your name we go against this multitude. Oh, Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Doesn't that remind you of David when he went out to fight Goliath? He said, you have come to me with sword and spear. I have come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. He says, who are you to defile the armies of the living God? And God gave him the victory. Just like he gave Asa and the children of Judah here. He gave them a tremendous victory. They didn't have to shoot an arrow. They didn't have to use a spear or a sword. God struck the Ethiopians and they fled. And they took much spoil from them because they were God's people. What a success. It's a success story in the 14th chapter. It's such a blessing. I was listening to... Charles Stanley today, and one of the things he was mentioning, he quoted an old hymn that we don't sing too often either, that said these words, how firm a foundation it says, that soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will never, no, never, nor never forsake. And so when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, he's with us and he's going to be with us every day of our lives and we can have the victory. The second part of the message is in verse 15, where we see some of the reforms that he did for the Lord in this chapter. And we notice that immediately following this, something very interesting happened in the 15th chapter. God sent a prophet out to meet him. And his name was Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out and said this, hear me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him. He will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. It was like the Lord was warning Asa. Now, don't think you won that battle. Don't think you did it on your own. Don't take the credit for it, Asa, but fear God. Seek him because he will be with you. And that's the only way that you're going to be successful is by relying on the Lord. But so many times we have ego, we have pride, we think we can do it. We don't need the Lord, but we need him every step of the way. The other night on Friday night, a few weeks ago, Tina was mentioning how she trusted the Lord for the little things, right? And we should. We should trust him for the little things as well as the bigger things. Instead of saying, well, it's little, Lord, I'm not going to worry you with that one. But he wants us to trust him, whether there's a million man army coming against us or one little thing. The Bible says that the little foxes spoil the vines. And that's what happens so many times. We are looking up thinking the big giants are coming after us and the little foxes get to us. The little things. The devil can drive a wedge in our life if we don't trust God fully. Reminds me of Peter when he was about to deny the Lord three times. The Lord predicted that to him. And he said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. What a word. You know, and that was the same thing that happened to Job. Job was doing well. He was prospering. He was blessed. And then Satan comes along and says, yeah, 
but you just touch him. You just touch his things. You touch his possessions. You touch his health. You do all of these things. He'll curse you. And Job didn't curse the Lord. But praise God that we have to stand. And that's what Satan did with Simon Peter. And yet later on, when Peter was forgiven by the Lord and he went on to do a great ministry for the Lord, and I believe he never forgot it, never forgot how he failed, never forgot it because God was with him. And in verses 8 to 19, we say that he went on to destroy more idols and more evil things that were there in Judah and to get rid of all these things that were a hindrance to the Lord's work and to the Lord's people. And then in the 15th year of his reign, he offered up 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep to the Lord. He was so thankful at this time. He was walking with the Lord. He was pleasing the Lord. He was seeking the Lord. And things were going very, very well for him. But we come to chapter 16. And chapter 16 is the sad part of his life because before there was a golden era for him. In the 14th chapter and in the 15th chapter, what he did was he sought the Lord first in his life. He put him first in his kingdom, in his life, in his ways, his family, everything. But like Paul Harvey said, now we have the rest of the story. And I'm really thankful. I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful that the Lord includes all the details about his people. Because if he didn't do that, we would think, wow, I can't measure up to this Asa. I mean, he, look what he did. He was a great person or, or other people in the Bible. But they had weaknesses. They had difficulties. They had failures. And we praise God for them because they include it in the scriptures so that we can learn the lesson for it. So that when we fail, when we go through some difficulties, we can know that others have been through it before us and that God never discounts his people. He never throws us to the side and says, I'm not going to use you anymore. He brings us back. He restores us for his glory. But look what happens in verse 16, 6, chapter 16, verse 1. It says, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Beasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Beasha, king of Israel, so that, we, that he will withdraw from me. This is the sad part. Before, what would he do? When the million-man army came, immediately he cried out to the Lord. He trusted the Lord. He relied on the Lord. He says, Lord, we can't do it without you. I can't do it without you. But we don't see any crying out to the Lord. We don't see any prayer to the Lord. We don't see him making any covenants or sacrifices to the Lord. He didn't seek God's help or favor whatsoever. Instead, he did it his own way. He did it Asa's way. And we know that Asa's way is not the right way, just like our way is not the right way. How many times in your Christian life have you done it your way and it ever succeeded for the Lord? It doesn't. It doesn't work. There's not going to be a first time. There never will. Even though in this case, it seemed to work out for him because notice Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his army against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Dan, Abomeam, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now, it happened when Baasha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took 
all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber from Ramah, which Baasha had used for building with them, and he built Geba and Mizpah. So on the surface, it looked like it worked. It looked like his plan worked. It looked like he succeeded. But spiritually, he did not succeed. Because even though the king of Israel went back home to take care of his matters at home, it didn't work spiritually at all. In fact, it worked for his detriment. There's a verse in Psalm 106.15 that says this, And he gave them their request and sent leanness into their soul. Isn't that sad? Sometimes if we reject God's will and have to do it our way, God will say, okay, Dean, I'll give you your way. Okay, okay. I'll take my hands off it. I'll let you do it. Do it your way. And so he gives us our request, but he sends leanness into our soul. It doesn't say he sent leanness to their soul. He sent it into their soul, into the very inside of the people. And that's what happened to Asa here. Spiritually, he went downhill because he didn't give God the glory. He didn't give God the priority. He didn't seek godly counsel. Before he sought godly counsel, he prayed about it. He sought God's word. He lived according to the truth. But now, mm -mm, not one single prayer. It's amazing that the same person, that he's the same person in chapter 16 as he was in chapter 14 and 15. But that's what can happen. And I have seen Christians whose lives have gone so downhill that you don't recognize them. But what happened to so-and-so? He used to go to church every Sunday. He used to come to the Bible study. He used to be the first one at the church. He was so happy. What happened? The devil got a hold of that person and got them off the track. And if a person lets that happen, it's a downhill spiral. Because as soon as you start missing a meeting, it's easy to miss two meetings. And then it's missing easy to miss a week. And then it's missing pretty soon you're sporadically going and then pretty soon you don't go at all. And you say, well, I can sit home and watch it on TV or I can do this or I can do that. Same thing with prayer. If we don't have a consistent prayer life with the Lord where we're relying on Him for everything, it's easy to skip it and then God will not be in our lives at all. He won't be helping us. And so he wants us to be men and women of the word and prayer and consistently going for counsel because when the enemy comes, he doesn't have to always come with a big army, but he can come in a little thing. The nation of Israel that came was not as big an army, but they caused Asa to go downhill. Asa, though, was a true believer, and I believe we'll see him in heaven, and I believe he'll be the first one to say, I blew it royally. I blew it big time. I messed up, and because of that, my whole last reign was terrible. You know, when someone is the president, like we have our president now, they call him a lame duck because they don't get much done in the last years of their administration. They call him a lame duck. Well, if there was ever a lame duck, it was Asa because he had done so much in the early part of his reign and, and reigned with God and was in the will of God and seeking the Lord and following Him. And then the last part of his reign was wasted. It was useless. It meant nothing at all. God had to bring correction and chastening to him and he wouldn't receive it. That's the amazing and sad thing. Notice God sends the prophet to him. And at that time, in verse 7, and at that time, Hanani, the seer, or another word for prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. And then he reminds him, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim 
Not a huge army with many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered you from their hand. Yes, he says, Asa, wake up. Don't be a senseless king. And that's what he was. He was a senseless king. And God had to try to shake him and wake him up. Sometimes we can be in a spiritual fog and we can do what is wrong in the eyes of the Lord. So what did he need to do? Step one, Osh. Have you ever heard that on the commercial? We have two Osh people here, Laura and, and Nick. And so step one, Osh. Well, I've got a good acronym for Osh and you can use it maybe. Obediently seek him. That's what the Lord wanted Asa to do. Obediently seek him. Get back, Asa, where you took the exit. You know, if you ever go down and take the wrong way, and I did this on Sunday, I was so embarrassed. I was down in Dublin and we were having lunch at at a place and I got on the freeway going toward Oakland. (laughs) I I was on the wrong way, 580. And I thought, well, I'll take the next exit and I'll go back. I felt bad about it. But do you know that you have to drive really far to get to the next exit to turn around? And I'm saying, Lord, I made a, a wrong turn. But that's not a bad thing. But when we do it in the spiritual life and we make a wrong turn, that is a bad thing. We have to make an immediate repentance. We have to turn around and get back to where God wants us to be. Otherwise, we're going to be heading in the wrong direction. And he wants us to head in the right direction. And notice what he says in verse 9. This is one of the most famous verses in Chronicles. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. The Lord says, the eyes of the Lord go out into all the world. And the Lord knows who's following him. The Lord knows who's honoring him. And the Lord knows who's loyal to him. And that's what the Lord wants us to have. A loyal heart for the Lord. To seek him all the days of our lives so that we can be a blessing. We don't want God to put us on the shelf. That's the most terrible thing that God can do is say, I'm going to have to put this person on the shelf. I can't use that person anymore. Until that person repents. But that's what he had to do with Asa. He had to deal with him very severely. And that's what he did. And so he rebuked Asa through the prophet. But instead of listening to the prophet, notice what his reaction was in verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. You know, when it's not a very pleasant thing to be rebuked. But sometimes in our lives, when we do wrong, we need to be rebuked. And I thank God in the past I've had brothers who have rebuked me when I needed it. And I'm very thankful for it. It doesn't feel good. It's not that touchy-feely kind of good thing. Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad I got rebuked today. No. But as it says in Hebrews, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. If we take heed to that rebuke. And that correction. And God always does the two together. Rebuke us and then correct us. So we're rebuked for doing wrong and corrected to do right. God never wants us to go just around feeling bad that we did wrong. But he says, no, ask for forgiveness, be forgiven, and then go on and do what is right in my sight. And that's what he wanted Asa to do. That's why he sent the prophet to him. But Asa got angry. And that's the wrong attitude when somebody rebukes you. You might take it at the time to the person. Then you go home and you're thinking, who is he to rebuke me? Who is she to hammer me for that? Why do they do that? 
And we start having a bad attitude and then the devil starts coming and says, you know, you don't need to go to that church anymore or you don't need to do this anymore. You don't need to do that. God wants us to have a humble attitude so we accept the correction. We accept the rebuke and go forward from it. It Notice it says, he, he says, from now on, you shall have wars. For the first 10 years, peace, rest, and everything. And even after they had that short conflict there with that million man army, God defeated them really quickly. They had rest and peace. And now he says, you're going to have nothing but war, nothing but conflict, because when you're not right with God, it can't go right. Have you ever noticed anybody that left the Lord's will and went outside the Lord's will that prospered spiritually? No, it's impossible. It's impossible to happen. We have to stay in the center of God's will and do His will daily, consistently, and be loyal to the Lord. And when we do that, He will bless our lives. But this is where I think the, the expression comes from, don't shoot the messenger. Because look what he did to this poor prophet. He got angry with the prophet. The prophet probably said, don't blame me. I'm just bringing you the word of God. But he put him in prison. And what they did in those days is they'd put him in prison and they'd give him bread and water. They called it the bread of affliction and the water of affliction. And they put him in this prison because he stood up to the king and rebuked him. Look what happened to John the Baptist when he stood up to Herod. And he says, Herod, you're committing adultery by having this woman as your wife, this Herodias. And so what did they do? They put him in prison. And then when Herodias had her chance, she had John beheaded because he was willing to stand up and said, you're sinning. But that's what we have responsibility for as men and women of God. We can't sugarcoat it. And that's what the prophet did. He stood up for the Lord. And then it also says, interestingly, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. And I thought, who were the people that Asa might have oppressed at that time? People that were godly. People that were righteous. People that were walking with God and serving God. Those are the people that he, he probably oppressed. The ones who were his friends before. And that's what shows when the devil starts working at people, he all of a sudden takes that person and just takes them off the track. And all these relationships that they had that were so good with, with the Lord and with his people get sidetracked. And it's so sad. So very sad. But praise be to God that he did still have a good life, even though he stumbled at the end. And that's why we want to be those who finish strong, because we don't want to be like Asa that didn't finish strong. Notice what it says in verse 11. Note that the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. And notice this is the saddest verse. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physician. Wow. How the mighty have fallen. Before, when, when there was a need, there was a big trial, he sought the Lord only. He didn't want anything but the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He did all those reforms and all those good things and all those blessings for the nation. But now he goes to the physicians. Now, it's not saying that there's anything wrong with a physician because physicians are good. We go to Kaiser, we go to John Muir, we go to Alta Bates or whatever hospital we go to and we go to doctors and they help us. But these kind of physicians that is mentioned here had to do with man's ways, man's things, spiritual, spiritists and things like that. These were physicians that didn't do it God's way. They didn't bring healing from God. They brought healing from man. And that's why he went there. And he didn't find any help for it. 
So when you add it up, the last two years of his life, he probably could barely stand. He could barely walk because it says his, his foot problem was severe. And if anybody has had problems with plantar fasciitis or any other kind of foot problems, it's bad. I have it myself and it's very painful. Every step you take, it can hurt and you can't, you can't uh, do it. You can't walk well. And this man had something worse than that because God struck him with it and he couldn't walk. And that's a great analogy of the fact that if we're not in God's will, we can't walk. We can't walk with him because we're off the track, off the profitable path. And may the Lord help us to realize that when God knocks at our door and says, repent, come on, turn back around, we better listen because God will bring severe trial and severe chastening if we don't. The last six years, as I mentioned in his life, were unprofitable and wasted. The last two years were very painful. And it's a sad thing. It reminded me, I was reading later in, in the week too about King Uzziah. And Uzziah was also a good king. And then one day he went into the temple to offer up the sacrifices. And that was not to be done except anybody by the priests and the Levites. That's only ones that could offer up these sacrifices. And all of a sudden... They came in and said, oh, king, you can't do this. This is only for the priests. And it says he got very angry. And as soon as the anger came, leprosy came upon him. And they had to take him out of the temple right away. And he became a leper till the day of his death. So may that never happen to us that we start well and do well and then get off the path and not finish well. Because all the good things that we can do can be overshadowed by the bad. Because he started well. He did well in the middle, but toward the end of his life, toward the end of his reign, he got off the track. May the Lord help us to be successful, to be prosperous spiritually by staying close to the Lord and doing what is right in his sight, to seek him, to rely on him. And then we can have revival in our lives. We can be blessed. But as soon as we start thinking, you know, I got this job myself. Or I got this promotion. I got this house. I bought this house. I got this car. The devil will be right there to say, yeah, you did it. You achieved it. You, you got that college degree. You got that promotion. Whatever it is. But the Lord is there to remind us, you didn't do it on your own. I did it for you. Don't ever forget. And sometimes we get the job. We get the house. We get the car. Then we forget that it was the Lord who gave it to us. And we should never forget. Because without Him... The scripture says we can do nothing. And so let's follow the good example of Asa and not the bad example of Asa. So that's a lesson that we can all learn to be those that stay close to the Lord, that seek his will, that seek his plan. I like I mentioned it before how Adel says, I want to be on God's plan today. I want to be in the center of God's will today, because if you step out of that protection and step outside of God's will, either to the left or to the right, you can make a decision that can affect your life for the rest of your life. That's what happened to Asa. That's what happened to Uzziah. It affected them for the rest of their life. May the Lord help us to really be humble and really be cautious. That's why the Lord sent the prophet to warn him. He warned him in chapter 15, but when it came to 16, he didn't heed that warning. May the Lord help us as we go to prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and we thank you that you've included it in scripture about these kings of Judah. And we thank you for Asa, Lord, and we thank you for the good that he did and the revival that he brought. And 
for the way he sought you, Lord, and trusted you when the armies came against him and how he prayed and, and how they read the word of God and they carried out so many reforms, Lord. But then we also think of his downfall and how he went off the path. Help us, Lord, to seek you while you may be found, to call upon you while you're near, to rely on you, Lord, no matter what we're going through, whether it's a really hard situation or not as hard. Help us, Lord, to cling to you. Help us, Lord, not to take those detours in life that get us off into the wrong way. Lord, we confess that we are frail and weak. And if we trust in ourselves, Lord, in our own wisdom, we're prone to failure. But help us to succeed with you, Lord. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.